First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. Good morning, church. Uh, If you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, would you turn with me to Colossians chapter 3? And it was indeed an amazing uh, weekend at the men's conference just to see hundreds of men uh, worshiping God, lifting praise to God out on that field, studying Scripture uh, together. And uh, if you were maybe at the conference and uh, you're here today for the first time visiting in one of our our worship services, we're so thankful um, that you are here. Today is uh, our fifth and final week in this Rhythms uh, series that we've been doing since the beginning of January. We've been talking in this series about what we all know, and that's that 2020 was, was a crazy year. A lot of the rhythms in our life were, were upset and just turned upside down. And so as we moved into this new year, we've been taking these weeks just to think about how we can reestablish some of the just healthy, God-given rhythms uh, that we need to have in our life. And so far, uh, in this series, we've looked at several of those. We talked about the rhythm of our own just devotional time, our time alone with God. Uh, we've talked about the rhythm of worshiping together with the people of God, how important that is. We've talked about the rhythm of our family life. Uh, we've talked about the rhythm of serving Christ and sharing Christ last week. And then today we're wrapping up this series by talking about the rhythms of work and rest. And uh, for sure, in 2020, for almost everybody, the rhythm of our work uh, was uh, affected. Many businesses, of course, were were shut down uh, for a period of time. Many other people uh, had to work from home. Some are still working from home. All of us learned about this thing called Zoom. If you didn't already know about Zoom, you definitely learned about it in 2020. We had Zoom meetings all day long. And, and I know, of course, some of y'all love that, right? Some of you love that because maybe you had to wear a suit to work or something like that. And on Zoom, you only had to wear like a suit jacket, right? Because that's all that they could see on the camera. So you had like a bathing suit down below or something like that. Or I, I heard some people didn't even wear pants at all. I, I think that's questionable, but, uh, but some people did that to each their own. But, but definitely 2020 was, was different from, from a work perspective. And so today in God's word, we're going to see what he has to say to us about a healthy rhythm of work and rest. Uh, a little later, we're going to look at a passage in the book of Exodus. But just as I've done each week in this series, we're going to start in Colossians 3 and 4. These two wonderful chapters in the New Testament about how our life can really be new and transformed in every area of our life. Uh, because of what Jesus has done for us. And so let's read Colossians 3, starting in verse 22, and we'll read down to chapter 4, verse 1. The Word of God says this, Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Father, we do thank you for your word. Uh, we, We pray, Father, even now as we read it, as we think about it, God, that you would speak to our hearts, that, Lord, we would be able to establish by your grace this year a healthy rhythm of work and rest that would honor you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, as I said, we're looking at, at two rhythms today, and really they are interrelated uh, rhythms. And so let's start out by seeing what uh, God's Word has to say about a healthy rhythm of God-honoring work. And uh, I hope that when, when you hear that and you say we're going to talk about work, that uh, I hope you don't say, well, I guess I can shut off and I don't need to listen for the next 15 minutes or so because I don't, uh, I don't work. Maybe you're retired and uh, don't go to work anymore. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe you're six years old and you're saying, you know, Mr. Bald, preacher man, I don't go to work. I go to school is, is what I do. And so uh, this doesn't really apply to me. Uh, but what I would just remind us of is that we all have work to do. Uh, whether you go to school, that, that's your work. You're, you're doing that work. Whether you're retired, uh, you have work to do. If you're a, a stay-at-home mom, you have work to do. Some of the most important work, I think, in all the world, raising uh, our kids. And so we all have work to do, and we need to do that work for God. We need to do that work for His glory. And so I think there's something here for all of us. And so as we think about how to establish the rhythm of God-honoring work, there's some principles in these verses uh, that we just read from Colossians. And the first principle is this. We need to work uh, knowing that we are under authority because we are all under authority. If you look with me again at verse 22, Paul writes, Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Now, one thing as you read this passage, it just kind of jumps off the page when you first read it, is that Paul is using here the language of slavery, right? He's using words like bondservant and master. And some people have criticized Paul uh, for this. They say that he is uh, being soft on the subject of slavery here because in this passage, he doesn't really say anything good about it or anything bad about it. And a couple of things just very quickly I would say in response to that. First of all, some people who kind of attack what Paul does here and how he handles slavery here, I'm thinking have probably never read another letter that is also in the Bible that Paul wrote called Philemon. And in that letter to Philemon, he speaks more directly to the issue of slavery and encourages Philemon to, uh, to not receive his former slave as a slave anymore, but to receive him as a brother in Christ. Uh, the other thing I, I would remind us about is that uh, the reason why we know that slavery is a great evil in God's sight is because of what the Bible teaches us. It's because in the very first chapters of the Bible, we read that every man and woman is created in the image of God. And so it is a great evil indeed for one man to enslave another who is created in the same image of the same God that he is. And so what Paul is doing here is he's simply writing to these Colossians and he's just facing reality. He's addressing the reality of the situation that they were in at that time, that they lived in the Roman world where slavery was everywhere. In this same church, in the city of Colossae, there were slave owners and there were slaves and he's writing to them and he's saying, in whatever situation you find yourself in right now, you can still glorify God. And so again, he reminds them in verse 22, bondservants, obey your masters according to the flesh. The application for us, of course, the takeaway for us has to do with our own working environment. You might be an employee that has a, a boss or someone that is over you at your place of work, or you might be the boss. You might be an employer that has others that report to you. And either way, Paul has something to say to us here. Again, in verse 22, he tells us to obey those who are over us in the flesh. 
And that means if you're an employee of someone, you have a boss over you, the Word of God commands you to obey them. We're, we're to obey them and understand that as we do that, we're obeying the Lord insofar as they're not commanding us to do anything that is against the Word of God. And notice that it doesn't say here that we only need to obey our bosses if we have a good boss. Right? It doesn't say we only need to obey our boss if we have a kind and considerate boss. It doesn't say to obey your boss if you only have a smart boss or a boss that is more skilled at what they do than you are. In fact, the takeaway here is even if your boss is like Michael Scott from the office and has no clue what he is doing, we are still called to honor God by honoring him or her and submitting to their authority. Maybe where you work, um, you are the boss. Maybe you're in a supervisory role and you have some others that report to you. God wants you to know that you're also a person under authority. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And those two words translated master are the same Greek word, and I think that's on purpose. Paul was saying, listen, you might be the master where you are, but you have a master that is greater than you. He's the the master. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And he cares about how you treat your employees. He cares about how you lead your business. He cares about everything that you do. So that's the first principle we need to remember. We need to work like we're under authority because we all are. Here's principle number two. We need to worship the Lord by doing our work for him. You go back to verse 22 again. He says, Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. When it says to not do your work with eye service, it means that we don't do it for the sake of impressing somebody else or uh, just to try to draw attention to ourselves. When it says we don't do it as a man pleaser, it means we don't just do our work when the boss is looking. I think we've all probably known workers like that, right? Who kind of slack off whenever the boss is away or out of the office. And then like as soon as they come through the door, it's like they just snap to and and, and start working hard, right? That's not how a Christian should work. And verse 23 tells us why. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. This weekend at the men's conference, Coach Mark Rick said that that verse we just read, Colossians 3.23, is his favorite verse in all the Bible. And and there really is a life-changing principle in that verse. It, It has the power to change the reason why we go to work every day. He says we do our work heartily, which means with all of our heart, in whatever we do. Now think about the all the things that fall under that heading of whatever we do at work. Of course, that depends upon where you work. Maybe you work in an office environment. Think about the most mundane things you do at work. Things like checking emails and making copies and answering the phone. Uh, Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and your kids are super young right now and your work consists of changing diapers and cleaning up messes and driving your kids all over tarnation to soccer practices, right? Think about all of those things. All of those things fall under the whatever we do in our work. And sometimes I think we're tempted to think, well, why should I do all of those things with all of my heart? It doesn't really seem like those things really matter a whole lot. It doesn't seem like they're all that important. 
doesn't really seem like anybody ever really notices the work that I do. Why do we do it with all of our heart? Because of what the end of verse 23 says. We do it as to the Lord and not to men. In other words, it doesn't matter where you work. It doesn't matter who your boss is. It doesn't matter who signs your paycheck or whether you get a paycheck at all because every one of us in this room works for the same person. We all work for the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it doesn't matter who our human boss is, whether they're bad or good, whether they notice us or reward us or not, because we're not working for them anyway, and we never were. We're working for him. And that's why we do our work with all our heart. That's why we do our work with excellence, whether we're doing our homework to turn into our fourth grade teacher or whether we're preparing a presentation for the board. We do our work with all of our heart because we do it as an act of worship to the God who made us and the God who gifted us and the God who put us exactly where we are. Some of you may remember this, but many years ago, I gave just a very simple prayer um, that I wanted to share with you again today because I do think just even waking up each day and just kind of praying this prayer to God has a way of just changing our mindset as we get up and get about our work. Here's the prayer, very simple. Today, Father, you have given me work to do. Help me to do my work as my worship to you. How might just praying that prayer each morning before you get about your work just change your focus, change your perspective of why we do the things that we do? Help me to do my work as worship unto you. Because church, worship isn't just what we do in this room on Sundays. Worship, the Bible says, is about the way we live every part of our life. Everything that we do is an expression of worship. And so as Christians, we do our work for him. Let's, let's not forget it. Here's the last principle I want to share with you about work before we turn our attention and think about rest uh, for a little bit. And so friend, always remember that the Lord sees your work and that the Lord will reward your work one day. Verse 24 says, Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of things um, that I love about the home of the Christian chicken sandwich, and that is Chick-fil-A. There's a lot of things I love about it. Uh, I love the chicken. I love the waffle fries. Can I get, can I get an amen? Anybody love Chick-fil-A as much as, as, much as I do? And, and, I, and not only do I love the food at Chick-fil-A, I love just the way they operate. I, I just love their efficiency. I mean, you go in there, and, and they have like three, four lines running through their parking lot, right? They got like air traffic controllers, right, directing you. And I, I saw somewhere online, somebody said, if, if Chick-fil-A was in charge of disseminating the COVID vaccine, the whole country would already have been vaccinated. I, I think there's probably, probably some truth to that. But I remember a, a few years ago now, I was, I was in Chick-fil-A. It was, it was late at night. It was almost closing time. It was almost 10 o'clock, as I recall. And I remember I was talking with somebody, but I noticed that the employees were doing kind of their final cleanup, you know, before they could go home for the night. They were just, you know, wiping things down, cleaning things. And I saw this one girl, and she was probably in high school or college, and she was standing up on the counter, like cleaning stuff that was behind, like the top sign that, that you couldn't even see. I mean, nobody, unless you were standing there, you wouldn't even know whether it was dirty or clean or not. And I just thought that's, a, and there didn't look like there was a boss around or any manager at that moment that was kind of telling her to do that. And yet she's cleaning this thing that nobody was ever going to even know whether she did or not. And, and, and friend, let me just tell you something. If you feel like 
Nobody sees the work that you do. You need to always remember the Lord sees the work that you do. He sees how you do it. He knows why you do it. And one day he says right here, he's going to reward you for it. That you're going to receive the inheritance. You know what the inheritance is? The inheritance is that one day we who know Christ will receive everything that belongs to Christ. How much belongs to Christ? Everything. That is our inheritance. And in other words, we are not working for a 3% raise that comes at the end of the year. We're working for a billion percent raise that comes at the end of the age. The Lord will see and reward our work when we do it for him and we do it for his glory. I know we've been talking a lot about working hard and working with, with excellence, but you know, for a lot of people, that's actually not their problem. For a lot of people, and maybe you're one of them, your, your issue is not underworking, your issue is overworking. And a lot of times there's a heart problem that's going on, and it's why we feel the need that we have to work even harder than we really should. Things get out of line and out of balance in our life. And sometimes it's because we start to make our identity and what we think about ourselves is so tied to what we do instead of who we are. Hey, I think this last year of 2020 kind of raised that for a lot of us. I remember even you know, in my role as a pastor here, of course, last year we were shut down for three months. Uh, we, we couldn't have, I wasn't able to see your sweet faces every week. I was up here alone with Noel and Bob from the tech booth and we had a camera. And I was literally preaching to a camera for, for 13 weeks. Uh, most of the ministries that we had, we weren't able to do. And so it was just kind of a weird time, wasn't it? Like you wake up every day and just, all right, what am I going to do today? And, and I think during that time, God kind of put his finger on a, on a place in my heart and said, Scott, you're, you're making too much of your identity in what you do instead of who you are. And you know why that matters? One day, you're not going to be able to do what you do right now. There's going to come a day when I'm not going to be able to pastor anymore. There's going to come a day when you're not going to be able to do whatever it is you do anymore. And if your identity is wrapped up in what you do, then when you can't do that anymore, who are you going to be? It is so important that our identity is found in Christ. And when it is, and even when that time of retirement comes, we have just as much peace, just as much hope, just as much joy, just as much purpose as we did before, because our identity is in who we are in Christ. Church, we need to remember this principle. We need to work as worship, but we want to make sure that we're not worshiping our work. And that's why this next rhythm is so important. Not only the rhythm of work, but we need to have a rhythm of God-honoring rest. And to see that, I want us to flip back, if you would, in your Bible to the Old Testament to a passage we probably all heard before, the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. Now, we're not going to read all ten of the commandments. We're just going to read commandment number four that God gave to his people Israel. Here's what it says, Exodus 20 verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant, your female servant nor your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and 
hallowed it. So with that passage in mind, how do we establish a God-honoring rhythm of rest? First off, we need to remember that a healthy rhythm of work and rest is God's design for us from the very beginning of the world. In verse 8, when we read, remember the Sabbath day, the English word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to cease or to stop or to rest. And so on the Sabbath day, God's people were commanded to stop working and to start resting. And they were commanded to do that every seven days on the Sabbath day, which for them was Saturday. And when you think about this rhythm of working six days and resting one day every week, have you ever thought about why we even have weeks to begin with? You know, every other thing that's on our calendar, there's a scientific reason in nature for why we have it, right? You think about why we have a day. And we have a day because of the earth's rotation, 24 hours each day, right? We have a month because of the moon, right? And the cycles of the moon. We have a year because of the way that the earth revolves around the sun every 365 and one quarter days. But why do we have a week, right? There's nothing in creation that dictates that we divide up our life into these seven-day increments of time. The reason why we have a week is because God gave us the week from the very beginning of creation. And the reason why he tells us we need to honor that pattern of this rhythm of work and rest is because he says, that's what I did the very first week of this world. Look again at verse 11. He says, for in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So when we build that rhythm of work and rest into our life, we are following a pattern or a rhythm that God built into creation from the very first week of the world. Now, I know that in our culture, there are some people who um, almost pride themselves on not needing to get any rest, right? And, uh, you know, even say things like, I don't need to rest. Like, I'm a machine. I just go. I just keep on trucking, right? I will rest when I'm dead, right? There'll be a time to rest then. There, there's kind of an attitude like that. And whenever I hear that, I think about this verse from, uh, from the Psalms where it says in Psalm 121, Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Now, who is that that keeps Israel, right? That's God. And so it says there that God doesn't slumber and God doesn't sleep. You know who that verse isn't talking about? Anybody else, <laughs> God's the only one who doesn't slumber and doesn't sleep. I think it's good to remember that. You know, C.J. Mahaney wrote that one of the ways we can help cultivate humility in our life is every day when you lay down your head on your pillow to remind yourself of this verse and to say, God, I thank you that you don't sleep. You're going to be awake while I'm sleeping. But I do need to sleep because I'm not God. It's just a reminder. We, we need to humble ourselves before the Lord, the only one who doesn't slumber and doesn't sleep. And you know, when he rested on the seventh day, he didn't rest on the seventh day because he was tired or because he needed it. He didn't need it. He rested on the seventh day because we need it. And he wanted to build that into the fabric of the world, this rhythm of rest that we need for our bodies and for our minds and for our souls. And you know, God has a way sometimes when we totally neglect this principle and we just burn the candle at both ends. He has a way sometimes of just putting us flat on our back for a while through a sickness or just through hitting a wall. 
Well, we realize, oh yeah, I really did need that rest all along. Now, when we talk about living out this principle of a Sabbath day of rest, I do just want to make sure to say that, you know, we don't do this as believers in a legalistic way. In fact, this fourth commandment of the Sabbath day is the only one out of the Ten Commandments that was expressly lifted from believers in the New Testament after Christ, who is our Sabbath rest, has already come. In fact, here's what Paul wrote back in the book of Colossians that we were just in a minute ago. He said, let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. So Paul says we shouldn't be judging each other about how another Christian keeps the Sabbath or doesn't keep the Sabbath. We shouldn't be making up rules as some Christians have done over the centuries about things you're allowed to do and not allowed to do on the Christian day of worship, which is the day the church worshiped in the New Testament, the Sunday, the first day of the week. But just because we are not under the law, just because this commandment has been lifted now that Christ has come, does not mean that this principle that we need rest every week no longer applies to us. In fact, here's the truth we need to hear today. A day of rest is God's gift to us. And we need to receive that gift. And during the time that Jesus was on the earth, the Jewish people were, I mean, very serious about keeping the Sabbath. And they had created all of these laws to try to make sure they never violated the Sabbath. In fact, there were 39 of these laws altogether. And one day, Jesus and his 12 disciples violated law number three. They were walking through a field, and they were hungry, and so they plucked some heads of grain to eat them. That broke rule number three, which was you're not supposed to harvest or reap anything on the Sabbath day. And so the Sabbath police came out, and they said, Jesus, your disciples just did this thing. They're not supposed to do this thing. This is how Jesus responded to them in Mark chapter 2. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Now, what was Jesus saying? He was saying human beings were not created and put on the earth so that there would be some people around who could obey the Sabbath. He's saying God created the Sabbath as a gift for man. And this is so huge that we, we take this with us today, that this, this principle that we need rest still applies to us every much as it did Thousands of years ago, it is still a gift that God wants to give us, this cycle of work and rest that we need. Friend, maybe this is something you've, you've never done. You know, maybe you're a person that you, you go seven days, you go 14 days, you go 21 days without ever taking a break, ever slowing down. What if, what if this week you said, I'm going to begin to implement this, this principle in my life that I need one day of rest every seven. 24-hour period of time, preferably on Sunday, if your schedule allows that, the Lord's Day, a day to worship, a day to rest, a day to have fun. You know, that's a godly thing to do, have fun with your family. A day to unplug. That might be the most important thing in our culture we can do on the Sabbath day, is to unplug. Turn off the phones, unplug the tablets, and just take a day to just, to just be, to be together. So much more to say about that, but we're almost out of time. Just one more principle when it comes to rest, and it's so important. We need to accept that we won't ever really rest 
until we find our rest in Jesus. The, the truth is, just not working one day every week is not going to give your soul the rest that it really needs. Uh, just taking a, a good vacation once a year in the summertime is not going to give you the rest that you need. In fact, I don't know about you, but sometimes I come back from vacation more tired than when I left, right? A trip with children is a vacation. It is not, right? And so, you know, it's fun and they're great memories, right? But you don't come back refreshed, right? You come back, you come back more tired. Real rest is found in the Lord. 1,700 years ago, St. Augustine said something very similar to this. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. Thankfully, we can find our rest in the Lord because Jesus has invited us to find our rest in him. Here's what he said in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus said these words, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find what? Rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I wonder if there's anybody who came into this room today and you can relate to what Jesus said there, to being heavy laden. You came in this room and there are some burdens that are on your shoulders that you are weary of carrying and you're not sure you can carry them another day. Jesus said, bring that burden to me. Come to me. Come to me with faith. Receive me into your life and I will give you rest. And I will teach you over time how you can have rest that is way down deep in your soul, a rest that doesn't come and go. And you know the reason why Jesus is able to give us that perfect rest? It's because Jesus has done the perfect work that our souls needed. The work that Jesus came to do is the work of the cross. And when he went to that cross and he hung on that cross, the Bible says that all of our sin, every wrong thing we've ever done or said or thought was laid upon Jesus, that he paid for it all. And at the very end, one of the last things he said before he died on the cross was, it is finished. The work that he came here to do was done. And because he has done that work, he can give you and me rest. Again, it's not a rest that comes and goes. It's a perfect rest and a perfect peace now and for all eternity. In just a minute, uh, we're going to come to the Lord's table together and uh, we're going to think about and remember that perfect work um, that Jesus did on the cross where his body was broken, where his blood was poured out so that we can have that rest um, that only comes in him. Uh, But before we do that, before we come to the table um, this morning, um, you know, every week that goes by, uh, and especially weeks like this one that we have every couple of months where we take the Lord's Supper together, um, I just, I think about and my heart just breaks uh, for the hundreds of people in our church family that have not been able to come to the table with us for almost a year. Hundreds of people in our church family haven't been able to worship with us because of health concerns and things in their life for, for again, almost a year. And again, my heart just breaks for them 
And I know some of them have expressed that if we, we just had an opportunity, this isn't for everyone, but if we just had an opportunity, some have said uh, of a service that was a mass service that they would want to come. Uh, and while our morning services are going to stay the same, uh, as our pastors have just been praying about this, we just feel the Lord has led us to just add that opportunity. Uh, in a few weeks, you'll see that on Sunday evenings at 5 o'clock uh, for that type of a service. And uh, I'm going to be doing the same message that I do three times in the morning. We'll just be doing that a fourth time in the evening. Uh, as much as possible, we want the music and everything in the service to be as similar as it can be uh, to that morning worship experience. I know we have many watching on our iCampus right now, and I just pray this will be a blessing. It'll be an opportunity for folks, again, that haven't been here in a while to be able to be here. Part of the reason we're doing it on a Sunday night is because there's just less people in the building, uh, plenty of opportunity to spread out, and, and, and really nothing else happening in the whole building. And so it'll just be a very safe environment to come. Uh, child care will be available as well. And again, we're just praying this will, this will be a real blessing to those that haven't been able to worship um, in a while. Uh, I, I am thankful that the, the vaccine is, is beginning to be distributed. It's, it's been encouraging. There's been some folks who have said to us, uh, Pastor, I just want you to know, we got, we got our first dose of the vaccine. Uh, we're signed up like a month from now to get the second dose. And we've already circled on the calendar like the Sunday after that, we're going to be back. And that's exciting to hear that. And so we don't anticipate that this is something that's going to need to go on for years or anything like that. But, but just in the meantime, in this brief period of time, uh, to have that opportunity for folks to reconnect and worship. Uh, just while I'm on that subject of, of COVID, just a couple of reminders about that. Again, we don't require a mandate mask in, in the morning. We have them available. And, and of course, right now, while, while the cases are so high in our area, definitely encourage them. Like when you're out in the hallways or you're just in close proximity with folks, uh, whatever we can do to make folks feel more comfortable, to, uh, to help keep uh, folks safe, we definitely uh, want to do that. And then also just a reminder, if, if you're sick or you know someone in your family's sick, or if you're waiting for a test result, all right, if you're waiting for a test result, please wait until you get that result, all right, before you, before you come. And we just, we just want to make sure we protect all of our small groups and, and just everybody in, in our church. And, and then the last thing there uh, is so huge as well, just showing grace to each other um, during this time. Um, I, I am well aware that um, everybody doesn't agree about COVID. Everybody doesn't agree about masks. And, you know, the Bible doesn't say anywhere that we have to agree about COVID. I've looked, and I have not found anything in here about COVID. And, uh, but what I have found in there is that we need to love each other all the time. We need to show grace to each other no matter what. And we need to put the interests of others ahead of ourselves all the time, no matter what. And church, I just want to commend you because you have done a fantastic job of that. There's been such a sweet spirit in our church this, this whole year. Uh, and, and the only reason why I'm sharing about this today uh, at this particular time is because like you heard early in the service, next week is our Vision Sunday. I'm going to be sharing some really exciting things and some big things about the new worship center, about our next church plant. And some of these things, church, aren't, these aren't like years away. These are like a month or two away. It's going to be an exciting next couple of months in our church. But I also know this. I know there's an enemy that does not like what God is doing in this church. He, he does not like it when, when a church wants to make room so that more people can hear about Jesus. He doesn't like that. He doesn't like it when a church wants to plant other churches so that even more people can hear about Jesus. He doesn't like that either. And he's going to do whatever he can to attack what God is doing in this body. And like I said last week, he'll, he'll use COVID to do it if he can. He'll, he'll use politics to do it if he can. He'll use whatever he can to come in and divide and get people into groups. Let's not allow the enemy 
to have that victory. Let's continue to love each other. Let's stay on our knees in prayer. And let's pray that our great God will do everything he wants to do in this church in the next few months and in the years ahead. 